Chapter 10 of the Radio Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen. The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 10 Treachery. Who killed your baby? replied the venerable old man of the caves of Carr. I will tell you. Even such a traitor as the renegade Yuri would not dare to violate his solemn oath. He had sworn to harm no person. Yet little Q stood between him and a coveted throne. What could he do under such circumstances? Only a diabolical brain, like that possessed by Yuri, could conceive of the solution which he concocted. In his capacity as king, and hence interpreter of all laws, he interpreted his own promise as follows. Yes, yes, go on, exclaimed Cabot, exasperated. Don't keep me in suspense. I was just about to tell you when you interrupted me, resumed Glamp Clamp in a mildly reproving tone. Prince Yuri ruled that because little Q was your son, and because you are a beast from another world, therefore little Q was a beast likewise, and so was not a person, strictly speaking, and so did not come within the literal scope of the protection of the promise, which was to harm no person. Having ruled thus, the miscreant then proceeded to stab the baby through the heart with his own hands. The villain, hissed Cabot, clenching his fists. But what could a mere earthman do against such a schemer? Glamp Glamp went on with his story. He left his jeweled dagger sticking in the death wound which it had made, sneeringly remarking, Thus with the seal of my family, I seal the deed which makes me king of Cupia. So came King Yuri I to the Cupian throne. Not yet, by a long shot, exclaimed the earthman, with a sudden burst of loyalty and affection toward the man whom he had wrongly suspected all this while. For you forget Prince Toron. The assembly long ago canceled Yuri's title to the crown because of his treason in the great war of liberation. The succession they awarded to his younger brother, the loyal Toron. So Yuri's foul deed made Toron king, unless... And here... A horrible fear clouded Cabot's firmament. Unless Toron is among the missing. You have spoken well, replied the old man, for Toron truly is among the missing. He has not been seen or heard of since the assassination of the old king. Miles groaned. Then he remembered something which, in fact, 
had scarcely been absent from his thoughts for as much as a paraparth ever since he had found the body of his murdered son in the banquet hall at Luno Castle. It is remarkable how a fact which you remember in one connection will often fail to suggest itself in another connection, although equally pat. This is doubtless for much the same psychological reason as is set forth in the following proverb of Poblath, the philosopher. A face well known to you in Kuana is oft a stranger in Ketuth. So, in the present instance, the note which Cabot had found, signed by the name of Toron, and pinned to the baby's beer by a jeweled dagger, had suggested so vividly to Cabot that Toron might perhaps be the actual murderer, that he had failed to grasp the really more obvious significance of the note, namely, that Toron had come at least as far as Luno alive and well. This latter significance now dawned on the earthman for the first time, and hurriedly he imparted the information to his aged host. It is well, Glamclamp replied, for if Toron got that far, doubtless he has reached or will reach your army. Almost would I think that he came from your planet Minos, for, as Poblath says, you cannot kill a Minorian. But we have strayed far from the story you were telling, said the Minorian himself. You had just related how that accursed yellow Yuri murdered my little son. What then? Glamclamp resumed his tale. The attendants of the princess at once attacked the forces of Yuri for his duplicity, but were driven into the lake. Yuri then sped to the southward with his prize, and the surviving loyalists, led by Poblath and Emsel, retreated north to join your army. Since then, the ant men have consolidated all the territory from Kuwana to a point just north of Lake Luno, but have not been able to penetrate very far into the mountains. The princess is safe and is respectfully treated in Kuwana. Cabot heaved a sigh of relief. Then a suspicion clouded his mind. How do you know all this? he asked, to which Glamclamp replied enigmatically, The Holy Father knows everything. Who is this Holy Father? Cabot interrogated. And who are all of you? The reply was astounding, for it revealed a bit of the history of Poros, which somehow had never before come to Cabot's attention. We are the lost religion of this planet. Innumerable ages ago, we sprang from the ground, fully formed and possessed of the only true key to the mysteries of the universe. From our ranks came the Cupians, who were destined by the master builder to populate this continent. But the leaders of the faith remained within the caves of Kar, as you see us today, excepting those of us who went forth to officiate at the temples of the Cupians. Then came the first great war, which resulted in the enslavement of Cupia. 
Queen Formis, with the assistance of King Q I, decreed the raising of our temples and death to all our priests, and the true religion vanished from the face of Poros. So, for many generations, we have watched and waited in our mountain strongholds for the great liberator whose coming was foreordained. When you appeared from the planet Minos and overthrew the Ant Empire, we still waited, for the prophecy of your coming had also contained the warning that we must remain in hiding until you shall have destroyed the last Formian. This you have not yet done, and this you must do ere the true religion can be re-established. That certainly was an antenna full. What assurance have you that I will restore your spiritual dominion over Poros? Cabot asked. For I worship the god of Minos. We ask no assurance, and we need none, Glamp Glamp replied. The great architect of the universe, call him by what name you will, has sent you to redeem Poros and that is enough for us. In due course you will re-establish his religion. Such calm faith, Cabot was almost convinced himself. Then a new suspicion clouded his firmament. Am I a prisoner, as hostage for this scheme? he asked. The builder forbid, the old priest exclaimed. You are our honored guest and are free to go as the winds. But first, we must be sure of your complete recovery, for we have much at stake in your well-being. Cabot was instantly sorry that he had spoken so, and humbly apologized. But the priest would have none of it. Under the circumstances, he said, your suspicions were entirely justified. Just then, a blue ape entered the room with a message. The priest read the note, and then informed Cabot that he was to be granted an audience forthwith by the Holy Father. Cabot was washed, shaved, and dressed in a clean Cupian toga, and then led, with steps feeble from his long illness, through many corridors to a door on which his conductor knocked several times. The knock was repeated from within, and the door swung slowly open, admitting them to a gorgeous vaulted hall, paved with precious stones, flanked with gold-chased pillars, and lighted on three sides by electric lamps in the shape of equilateral triangles. The hangings were magnificent tapestries in cloth of gold, platinum, copper, and other metals, depicting early traditional scenes in the history of the planet. About fifty priests, dressed like Cabot's conductor, were seated along the walls, some on special raised thrones, and in the center of the opposite side, on a raised platform, sat the leader of the faith, Alva, the Holy Father, who was the only cowled figure in the room. Alva's face was the most serene, and to be trusted, that Miles Cabot had ever seen on any human being. One look at that face, 
and all Miles' troubles passed away. The Holy Father inspired him, as a mother inspires a child, to absolute trust and confidence in the future. But Cabot's perverse Americanism led him to stand erect with arms folded, as his conductor made humble obeisance and motioned to him to do likewise. Miles Cabot was the regent of Cupia. Why should he do homage to the church? Then he remembered that his claim to the regency lay buried in the courtyard of Luno Castle. And then he felt thoroughly ashamed of his grossness, for the Holy Father descended from the throne and bowed low to him, saying, Welcome to Carr, Miles Cabot, defender of the faith. Ever these priests were teaching Cabot manners. He now bowed low in turn himself, and stammered out some kind of an apology. The Holy Father reascended the throne, and gave his guest the seat of honor on his left hand, where they conversed for several minutes, before he introduced Cabot to the assembly. Priests of the true religion, said Alva, ye all recall the prophecy, how from the very moment when our ancestors and predecessors in title sprang from the soil to people the planet Poros. We have known that our religion was doomed to be wiped from the face of the continent by an alien race. That sad event in the history of the true religion came to pass five hundred years ago when Formia overran our fair planet. He also know that the prophecy continued by stating that after many generations there should come a beast from another world to redeem Cupia and restore us to our pristine power. Fight fire with fire and beasts with beasts. Permit me to present to you, Miles Cabot, the beast from Minos, the vanquisher of the Formians, the hero of Poros, I have spoken. Priests of Car, said Miles, just barely restraining himself from saying, Priests of the true religion. It is reassuring to me to meet such an abiding faith in the destinies of Poros. Strengthened by your tender ministrations, I go forth to redeem the planet with your assistance. May God's will be done. There was a rustle of disapproval at the mention of a strange supreme being, but the Holy Father silenced them with a gesture. Then he signed to Cabot that the interview was at an end, and Cabot returned to his room. A few days later, Miles was pronounced well enough to leave the subterranean city. First he bid an affectionate farewell to Glamclamp, who had tended him through all his illness. Then, gathering up his belongings, he set forth through many a winding passage, under the leadership of the young electrician priest, Nan-Nan, who had shed his red embroidered robe, and now had on instead an ordinary Cupian toga for the occasion. Both men wore sandals on their feet, as had become customary in military circles, although the inhabitants of Poros normally went barefoot. As they neared the outer air, 
Cabot was blindfolded, and thereafter, for several stads, submitted to the guidance of a hand beneath his arm. Finally, they halted, and the bandage was removed. They were now standing in dense woods at the foot of a steep hill, up the side of which ran a winding path. Nan-Nan thus instructed Cabot, Follow that road for about three stads, keeping yourself thoroughly prepared all the way to halt the moment you are so commanded. Somewhere en route, you will be challenged by a Cupian sentinel. When asked your identity, say Arta, and make a sign like this. Here he indicated a sign with his hands, then continued, Be very guarded in your remarks. May the great architect bless you. Goodbye. Hold on for a periparth, ejaculated Cabot, seizing the young priest by the arm. You can't let me go blindly like this. This method of procedure may appeal to your sense of intrigue or your love of mystery, but surely it is highly impractical to send me into enemy territory with absolutely no disguise and no intimation as to who I am supposed to be or how I am supposed to act. Nan-Nan mildly remonstrated, As to who you are supposed to be, I have already informed you that you are Arta. As to how you are supposed to act, I have already instructed you, when challenged by any sentinel, to give your name and show the sign. But who is Arta? expostulated Miles. And why all the hocus-pocus? Ah, replied the priest, the less you know, the less secure you will feel. And the less secure you feel, the more careful you will be. Is it not so? I suppose so, assented the earthman grudgingly. Then, said his mentor, goodbye, and may the builder bless you. And patting Cabot's cheek, he turned and strode off down the path whence they had come. Miles drew his revolver and a deep breath, and set out resolutely to scale the hill ahead. But he walked slowly, although steadily, for his strength was not yet all that it should be. Thus about a parth passed, when suddenly from in front of him came the words, Stop! In the name of the king! A Cupian stood before him, with a revolver in his left hand. For a moment they sized each other up. Then, Which king? Cabot asked. The sentinel answered, Yuri, ruler of Cupia. End of chapter 10